basically says to God, okay, God, you answered, and I don't like it, nor do I understand it. Don't you wish that it was easy to have conversations like this with people that you're not agreeing with? Like, one of the hardest things to learn in life is how to have that difficult conversation. And here Habakkuk's having that difficult conversation with God. And he says, I don't like your answer. I don't understand your answer. In fact, look at what he says in Habakkuk 1, 12 through 17. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, a rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He's saying right there, why are you bringing wicked people to bring us closer to you? Like, how are, like why are you basically, in, in Habakkuk's mind, why are you blessing the wicked ones? We're the ones that are following after you. Why are you doing it? Why, why do they get the benefit? And not us. And then he continues, he says, You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook, he drags them out with his net, he gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Habakkuk's asking the question here. Last week he asked, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything? And today he's asking, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? This doesn't make sense. He says, God, what are you doing? He lays it out there. He puts it all on the line. He says, God, I don't like what you're doing. Can you please explain it to me? Because it doesn't make any sense at all to me. I just don't get it. And what we see here is Habakkuk is living up to the meaning of his name. And I said last week that Habakkuk means to wrestle and to embrace. And Habakkuk here is wrestling with the fact that he can't understand what God is doing. And do you ever get to that point in your life that you can't understand what God is doing and you're just like, I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. Why do I have to go through this again and again and again? He's wrestling. It doesn't make sense to him that God's going to bring about their enemies as a way to rescue. But if you look close, Habakkuk's living up to the second part of his name where he says he is to embrace. He's embracing. He's embracing the characteristics of God, the characteristics that he knows so well. He's embracing the fact that he knows God is going to answer him and will allow him to talk freely because Habakkuk has a relationship with God. And it's easier to have a difficult conversation with someone you're in relationship with than someone you're not. And so Habakkuk is leaning into that. And because he knows who God is, because he has a relationship with God and knows he can freely speak to him, he knows that God is going to answer him again. And so Habakkuk waits. And you know that great moment in every difficult conversation when someone has asked you some challenging questions 
And then their, their, the last response they give you when they ask you those challenging questions, and they say, I'll wait for your answer. Right? You know what I'm talking about? I'll wait for your answer. Where were you last night? I'll wait for your answer. What is this bill? I'll wait for your answer. Why are the dishes still in the sink when I told you to put them away? I'll wait for your answer. That's not a fun phrase to hear, right? Because you know you better come up with something good real quick. And Habakkuk says, God, what are you doing? I don't understand it. And then he says, I'll wait for your answer. Look what he says in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to get to my watch post. I'm going to stand there and I'm going to pray and wait for him to answer. I don't know when it's going to come, but I'm going to wait. He's willing to watch, wait, and listen. He knows that God's going to answer, but he doesn't know when. And that's what living in faith is like for so many of us, because we know that God is going to answer, we just don't know when. And that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. He doesn't want to go and forget that he's asked God, so he waits, he prays, and he meditates. And he knows he's going to answer. He just doesn't know when. Waiting in life is the hardest part. Last week, we were in wonder. We were wondering, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything? And that's, that, that's, that's a hard thing because you don't know something. It hasn't been proven to you. You're, 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 you're discovering. You're trying to figure it out. You're in wonder. Waiting is even harder. And that's what makes this sermon harder, especially if you have faith, because you don't know when God is going to answer. And many of us live in that moment, that moment of waiting, because we've either yet to, we have either yet to see our faith fulfilled or our life is so heavy on us that it feels impossible to see God at work. And it's tough. But waiting, waiting for the answer, waiting for action is hard. That tension when you say, I'll wait for my answer. And when you say that, you're expecting them to be the one that kind of squirms and, and knows that they're in, in deep. But what about when you're talking to somebody in authority? And you say, I'll wait for my answer. And they can't give you one right away. Now, take that and you're talking to God and you say, God, I'm going to wait for my answer. And so he does. He waits. And as Habakkuk is waiting, God answers. And God answers in a unique way. And I'm going to be real honest with you. As I was studying for this this week, going through this, 
God's answer in verse 2 is one of the most convicting verses that I have read in a very long time, for me personally. It says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Why is that convicting to me? It doesn't seem like it would be convicting. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Well, God tells him to write down what he's about to say. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at writing stuff down. But God is saying, write it down. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Write, write it down. And then put a dash and put document or however you want to do it. But we are to write it down. We're to document. Some people are really, really good at journaling their life. Some are especially good at journaling their, journaling their spiritual life. They've got volume after volume after volume, and when they pass away, their family and their friends go and they start looking at their, uh, looking through their, their personal effects and, and the things that are left behind, and they just find a treasure trove of things that God has spoken to this person because they wrote it down. You won't find that in my life. You'll probably find about 75 journals or notebooks or whatnot that has like two pages filled out, and then I quit. And then I get on board, I'm going to journal again, I'm going to journal again. So I buy a new one rather than going back to the old one, and I do the same thing. And then I throw it away, or I, I quit. I love to write. That's the crazy thing about this. I love to write. I love to sit down at my computer and just write. And I, th- and I, and I think I'm really good at it. Um, my professors in seminary, I was able to fool them enough through my writing, so that tells me I was pretty good with it. But when it comes to the idea of writing down what God is telling me, I struggle. And why do I struggle? Well, I don't know what to put. Like I've heard people tell me, well, write down your prayers. Okay. God help me today. Done. I don't. I've heard people to confess my sin there. Well, yes, but I, I don't need to be writing out my sin. I need to be confessing my sin to God. Um, If I don't know those things, how do I know what to write? How do I know what God is telling me to put down? So I get started and I get stop, I, then I stop. I'll go a few days and I'm doing really good and then I'll, then I'll just give up for, for reasons unbeknownst to anybody other than air. Um, I just quit and I, and I don't have any, any reason. But to be openly and transparently honest with you, this week was the first time that I've ever, it's the light bulb has ever gone off in my head that to write down what God is telling me is biblical. Why do I know it's biblical? Well, because he says it in Habakkuk 2.2. Write the vision. Write it down. And for me, I knew that, and I know and I believe that the Bible is God's inspired word that he gave to men to write down. But those are like the big guys way back when that they got to write the scriptures. And then it was proved that this was to be the holy canon that we carried. But that's already done. And so I have this Bible 
and a whole bunch of other Bibles. And if I have this, then why do I need to write stuff down? Because it's already written down. Why do I need to write it down? Well, God tells us things through this, yes. But the words that we might pull off of this are different than the words that are written down. And God tells us to write it down for a very simple reason. I hope this is life-changing as it was for me, as life-changing for you as it was to me. We write it down so we don't forget it. Did that just blow your mind? We write it down so you don't forget it. Now, when I was younger, I was really good at keeping things in my brain. That's not my bones creaking. That's the the stage. Um, Because I'm getting older, and I'm not so good at remembering things. I now have to write things down. I have to make a list of things that I need to get accomplished. I actually have to use the calendar on my phone to give me reminders of places I'm supposed to be. And so if I can't remember that I'm supposed to be at this spot at this time to meet this person, how am I going to remember something that God told me when I was just waking up in the morning? I've got to write it down. There's a reason that committees have secretaries, schools have teachers document everything, and governments have archives. Because we need to have a record of what was said. Well, if the greatest supernatural entity ever is telling you something, don't you want a record of what he just told you? You want to write it down. We need to write it down because God is telling us we don't forget it, so we don't forget it. And it's easy for us to forget what God tells us, and there's a specific reason why it's easy for us to get what, forget what God tells us. And it's because our enemy wants to take away the word that God gives you. The enemy wants to distract you from the things that God is telling you and get you off track. If he can get us away from thinking about and believing the promises that God has given us, then guess what? Our faith is shaken. God is wanting us to write it down so we don't forget it, and the enemy is trying to get our faith shaken so that we begin to doubt We begin to look for our own solutions to our problems. We take shortcuts. The enemy wants us to become Peter. Where when Peter is waiting for Jesus to return, and he can't wait any longer, so he takes the men to go fishing so they can begin to provide for their families. When Jesus had told him specifically, wait. And Peter forgot that. And Peter began to move forward, and, and, and then Jesus shows up, and he tells them to cast their nets on the other side, and they hauled in a bunch of fish. But that for a moment, they had forgotten what had been said. And so for me, the conviction is I've got to begin to write down the things that God is telling me. All day, every day. I just need to write. Write it down. God tells Habakkuk to write it down. I want you to write it down so you don't forget it because there's a good chance you're going to have to wait. Because there's a good chance that before God shows up in our lives, we wait. Some of us have had to wait a lot longer than others. Some of us, it happens quickly. But oftentimes, for God to reveal what he truly wants in you, We have to wait. 
you know, kids will ask you for things. If you're a parent, they'll ask you for stuff, right? And they'll be like, well, let me think about it. Or we got to wait till this, or we got to wait till payday, or, 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 or I need to do, this is what I tell my kids, um, I need to research. And that's not a lie. I do need to research things. So you hear me? But that's for you to wait also while I research it. I'm not going to stop what I'm doing right then and research it. But there comes a point that your kid keeps asking you and asking you and asking you and asking you to do two things, one of two things. You either give in and just give it to them so they'll quit asking you, or you crush their spirits and you tell them no because you asked me too much, right? God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. We wait, but God gives us a promise. God tells us that he has a plan and he has a schedule. God tells us that he has a plan and he has a schedule. Just because God hasn't answered yet doesn't mean that he is saying no. Just because God hasn't answered yet doesn't mean he's saying no. And for me, when I tell my kids no, most times that means no. I'm done with it. But, or when I just don't answer, I'm hoping they forget about it so I don't have to tell them no. But just because God hasn't answered yet doesn't mean he's saying no to you. Just because God hasn't answered yet doesn't mean he's saying no to me. And I find incredible freedom in my life in that. In that promise, write that promise down because I hope it brings you freedom, hope, and peace. Just because God hasn't answered my request or my question or my complaint yet doesn't mean he's saying no to me. Habakkuk 2.3 says, For still the vision awaits. It's appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. We have to wait, and waiting is the hard part. Summer before my senior year of high school, I had had this really awesome first car. Like, it's a dream car for all of you. My parents, when my sister was 16, paid something like $500 for a Mazda GLC sedan, 1984, gold. We called it the Butterscotch Beast because it wasn't really gold anymore. Okay. My sister drove it for two years, and then it became my first car. And it was awesome because it had a hand crank sunroof. It had the radio that you could press a button, and it didn't go to the digital display. It jumped. And oftentimes, it didn't land where it was supposed to land. It was a stick shift, so I learned to drive on a standard, which for many of you makes me special. And I could power slide that car around a corner like no other. My parents are watching, so I'm going to get in trouble for that later because they probably didn't know that. But when I would pull up to a red light, it was really hampering my game. Because I'd pull up to a red light, and the car next to me would be full of all these beautiful girls. And I'm like, hey, I got a sunroof. Check this out. And then the light would turn green, and they would take off in their little Mitsubishi Eclipse or Volkswagen Cabriolet. And I would sit there. 
because the water hose on my car was cut too short and it popped and it was just steaming everywhere. So I was like, I've got to have something better. I, I've got to get cool. I've got I've to up my game. So I need a truck. I need a pickup truck. And so I'm like, how do I coerce, probably the right word, my parents into getting me a pickup truck? Well, I go to summer camp the summer before my senior year. It's Wednesday night at summer camp, church camp. And the pastor is preaching on prayer. Light bulb, I'm going to pray to God to get me a truck. Because that's what 17-year-olds do, right? It's not what 45-year-olds do. I prayed, God, give me a truck. Give me a truck. You know I need a truck. And I, I mean, I prayed fervently. I was on my knees at the altar at the end of the thing, at the end of worship, praying, God, give me a truck. Then I forgot about it. And I go home on Friday. My mom picks us up, me and my best friend Chris, and we're driving home. And mom says, well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. She says, what do you want first? And I'm like, well, give me the bad news because, you know, let's, let's just go ahead and get this party started. And she says, well, the bad news is you don't have a car anymore. And I'm like, what? She said, well, your dad drove it to work on Wednesday because he wanted to make sure it was running okay. Well, remember that whole little water hose thing? That was the least of our concerns with this car. And he drove it to work, and he got into it to come home on Wednesday night, and it wouldn't start. And no matter what he did, no matter what he could tried, it would not start. And so he left it overnight. My dad built schools for a living. He's in construction. So he left it at the construction site overnight. He got back to work on Thursday, and apparently somebody had tried to steal this wonderful, wonderful car that night and could not get it started. That's a bad criminal right there. So they destroyed the car. They just trashed it. So I no longer had a car. My response to that was, thank you, God. That's not bad news. Well, I didn't get a truck. I had to wait a whole other year. I got this nice, cool 1988 Ford Escort hatchback. All the ladies' dreams. And I had to wait. I had to wait, and I had to see some different things. I had to prove myself a little bit better. But I had to wait for God to answer. It wasn't the way I wanted him to answer it, but he answered a prayer that I needed something new. Er. And then I was able, before I left for college, I was able to get a truck. And, and that's, a, that's a very loose interpretation of waiting because I know some of you, your issues that you're waiting on God to answer are way bigger than that. And I understand that. And waiting is hard. But just because God hasn't answered yet doesn't mean he's saying no because he has a plan and a schedule. We have to wait and stay in the tension because we don't know when he's going to answer. But God continues to speak to Habakkuk, and he explains more about his plan in waiting. And if you go through the next, five, next, scripture of, the next passage of Scripture, I'm not going to read the whole thing, we see what's called the five woes of the Chaldeans. And, and, and he lists five woes that are going to happen to this group of people. But in that, there's three promises that we can pull that will help us in the waiting. That will help us in the waiting. The first one is God tells us, and this is one of the most theologically 
dissected verses in Scripture that the theologians say is one of the most crucial verses of Scripture out of this little book of Habakkuk, a minor prophet. And it says, and God tells us that the just will live by faith. The just will live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4. Look at the proud. They trusted themselves and their lives are crooked. Behold, excuse me, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright with him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith. The just will live by his faith. But he says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Look at the proud. They trust themselves and their lives are crooked. It's, it's throwing things off. It doesn't seem fair over the past week as we've watched the news that the Taliban can take over Afghanistan and put these Christians to death minute by minute. It doesn't seem fair. I read this week that it, if they were even found to have the Bible app on their phone, they would execute them on the spot. I bet most of us would be executed on the spot. And it doesn't seem fair that when we look at our world, it seems that the world is winning over God-honoring values in our country and abroad. We fight to have religious freedom, and it feels like everywhere we go, the world is winning. Everywhere we look, they're infusing the agenda on us. But this verse, it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. His heart isn't right. He's braggadocious. And it reminded me, there was a picture that came out yesterday of of some Taliban soldiers. And maybe you've seen this picture. But they reenacted the famous photo from Iwo Jima of the U.S. soldiers lifting the American flag on the hill. And they reenacted that. In fact, they put on U.S. clothing and raised up the Taliban flag and took a picture of it and sent it out to reenact it. They're bragging about what they've done. They're flaunting their victory. They're puffed up. Their chests are full of pride. And it's sickening. It's sickening. But it's not just the Taliban soldiers who are puffed up. It isn't just the terrorists whose heart is not in the right place. It happens in America every day. Christians and non-Christians alike. And I want you to hear me very carefully when I say this, because what I'm about to say is going to offend some of you. When we put our love of country above walking righteous and holy in the sight of God, we're just like the Taliban. Because our soul is puffed up with national pride. And I'm not saying that to be proud to be an American is wrong. What I'm saying is when we put that as a priority above our relationship with God, that's what's wrong. Because we are aliens in this world when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. But God says the righteous will live by his faith. The ones that are completely sold out to God, the ones whose number one priority when they wake up, it's God. Number two is God. Number three is God. Number four is God. And then other things, if not even farther down the list. Those that are all in, all in in everything they do. 
It doesn't matter where they live, how much money they have, how much fame, what they do for a living. The only thing that matters to them is God. That's the righteous that will live by faith. Habakkuk's heart was broken for the people of his city because his eyes were focused on God. His heart was focused on God. He was all in with God. And he realized that what he was seeing didn't line up with that. And so he went to God and had that difficult conversation. The Chaldeans got proud and arrogant because of their victories. But here's the key point of that. What they didn't realize that they had nothing to do with their victories. Their victories were enabled by God. How do we know? Because he tells Habakkuk that he's going to raise up the Chaldeans to take out the chosen people. God is in control, and this was part of his plan. This was part of his plan, which leads us to the next truth, and that is the earth shall be filled with God's glory. No matter what happens, the earth is going to be filled with God's glory. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. If we quit worshiping God today, the earth is still going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. Luke 19.40 says, I told you if these were silent, the very stones will cry out. The earth is groaning and moaning to tell of the greatness of God. We have voices that we can speak with to tell of the greatness of God. And no matter what happens, the earth is going to be filled with God's glory. No matter what God's plan is, it is for his glory. No matter how long you have to wait, it is for God's glory. God's glory is going to prevail no matter what. And that's not to scare you that he might not answer you anytime soon. That's to give you hope. That no matter what you're going through, no matter what trial is in your life, God's glory is going to be in that. And when we're all in, that's how we can appreciate that. Because even if we can't see it, God's glory is there. He gives us one more promise, and this is how we're going to end. And this is, this is such an incredible promise. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is there. Habakkuk 2.20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God is there. God is reigning. God is working. He hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. Even if he hasn't answered you in a long time, he's there. Do you know that it went 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament that God did not speak? It was silence. And then when God answered, what was the answer? Sunday school answer would be Jesus, and you would be right. God answered big. It just took a while. Last week, we sang the song, Waymaker. And the song says, even if we can't see it, you are still working. You are still moving. And we opened with a new song today that most of you probably have never heard. I would guess most of many, almost all of you have never heard it. 
but it's titled, You Are. And it says, when I feel lost in the dark and all of these fears surround my heart, I know you see me. I feel you're with me, Jesus. You are, when I'm caught in the lies and I cannot see the other side, still you are near me. You're never failing, Jesus, you are. Even in the unknown, I know that you are good. Even in the waiting, you are good. You are good, Jesus, you are good. And that's the promise for us to live on today. So we're going to have the band come up and we're going to end in a song. And uh, I want you to sit in that promise. That promise that he's there and that he's good. And if you need to wait, I want you to pray that God will give you a chance to wait. He will give you the strength to wait the patience to wait.